Hello, everyone, and welcome to another well-played podcast, which is a podcast on all things playful. I'm your host, Michael Matera, and I'm here with John Spike. Together, we hope to be your guides and dive right into how both of us nerds use Minecraft in our classroom. I know you can't wait to listen uh, for some more on this topic, but if you have to, we can pause here and give you a moment to sort of shut the door as the jocks walk by. I think I've waited long enough for you to do that. Uh, so without further ado, John, you want to introduce yourself a bit? Absolutely. Uh, my name is John Spike. I am currently the coordinator of instructional technology and integration services at UW-Whitewater. And before that, I uh, was a K-12 tech coach and a language arts teacher for high schoolers. Awesome. So before we launch into our episode here, I just want to just remind the listeners that we're doing the Well Played You uh, has that quest for the listeners. If you tweet us at hashtag Well Played You and include the hashtag as well, hashtag WP Quest, uh, you'll be entered into winning some gamification swag. Here are the rules for this quest. You just have to tweet a quest idea for your students or a picture of a quest one of your students did and include those two hashtags, uh, which was well played you and hashtag WP Quest. All right, let's get down to the business of talking Minecraft. Uh, first off, maybe just a quick brief tutorial a little bit about Minecraft and some of its options for some of our new users to Minecraft. Yeah, I know uh, you and I kind of the, the first pieces that we really got hooked on was a mode called survival mode in Minecraft, uh, where, you know, the students have finite resources available to them. They have to work with what the Minecraft world gets them in terms of, you know, maybe the minerals available or the trees available or even the uh, terrain that uh, they're given to work with. And then uh, also they have, you know, life that they need to keep an eye on. So just like a traditional game where you run out of life, you lose this mode of Minecraft is no different. And uh, you also have to make sure you feed yourself. Uh, so if you don't get your sustenance, uh, you could potentially also perish in the game world. You'll respawn, but uh, usually in a disadvantageous position. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, like you said, that's one of those modes that we use a lot. That I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like every user of Minecraft that's their thing. I mean, I can see a lot of classes where that would be something they wouldn't want to turn on. So if you're not in survival mode, uh, maybe could you run through the other option that maybe other classes might use? Yeah, the the mode that I think I see a lot of of use getting out of it when I when I see examples on the internet is the creative mode, and that's where literally. Your students at their fingertips have every block available to them. They can fly around this world. They can kind of reshape the world very easily. Uh, it's great for kind of creation-based uh, you know, tasks that you might have them do. And I like to call the students like little G gods. They have basically all the powers, but the teacher still is the big G god because they can still like smite them you know, very easily like – yeah, you know, we talked about uh, the other day how you know the the greatest high is the freeze ability in Minecraft EDU and Minecraft Education Edition, where you can literally stop students in their tracks and say, "Hey, listen up," or things like that. No, you're so right. So that's that's another piece that you get with <laughs> Minecraft EDU, right? So we have the survival mode and then this creative mode that John just pointed out. But now we're talking about some of the teacher tools that are embedded 
in this Minecraft EDU and, and the teacher gets a suite of tools to use with inside the, the game world uh, to definitely, as John, John points out, to act as big, big G God. Um, and, and a feature that can really help out a lesson is the, the global freeze where you can just make every <laughs> player in the game they can move their arms, but they can't. They, they're, they're all of a sudden like, I think it glitched out. We can't move anymore. And you're like, nope, I froze you all. And I have never seen students more quickly, you know, lock into whatever I was saying because they knew the moment I was done with my little soliloquy, they could get back to, they could get back to Minecraft. So, uh, but it's a great tool when when I'm trying to make those teachable moments. Uh, in Minecraft, it's a great way to sort of pause them, do that teachable moment, and then you can kind of move on. There are a couple other teacher tools in there too. You're, I think, if you're in survival mode, you're able to sort of share out blocks they need, um, and you can do that. You can give that to like the world, like everyone in it, and I think you could also target specific players. I know you mentioned you use that strategically as like almost a a reward or a power up or things like that for students. Uh, who maybe you know earned it or some way they they might have had the finite resources, but you used it as almost like a little incentivization. Is that correct? Yeah. So for anybody out there that's doing you know this gamification layer over their classroom, like I like I talk about in a lot of my professional development, the Minecraft is just a great tool that allows you to to plug into that already gamified piece you do in your classroom. So when kids do side quests that have nothing to do with Minecraft. They're just doing something on the side, uh, you know, like an extra credit kind of task. And they do really well. At the same time, we're working on one of these Minecraft worlds where, as John and I pointed out, we did a lot with survival mode. So they have to mine their own products. They have to craft their own things. Some of these things can be incredibly complicated as well as really rare to come by. And... Now they do these side quests in real life and then in the game of Minecraft, which already has a pre-built economy, you can kind of break that economy, right? You can you can kind of say, like, <laughs> just because you did the side quest, I'm going to give you 20 diamond blocks. And, I mean, everybody's like, how did he get diamond armor or whatever? And it's like, well, I did that, that extra quest that Mr. Matera put out there. So um, it's just it's just a great you know, currency that you can use with inside your gamified world. I know we had a, a fantasy once, Michael, uh, you and I, which this is a bad way to start. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this the one that we want to talk about on air? Or... Oh, no, that's right. Oh, that's for that's for off, off, <laughs> offline. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I keep getting all our fantasies mixed up here, but uh, I digress. Uh, we I remember we talked about this like two, three years ago. We thought it'd be really fun. We never really made it come to fruition, but this would be a great idea for educators out there who maybe have a companion school or, or another educator they work really well with. We talked about having an economy between our courses, our classes, where like my students and your students might communicate online, offline, agree to a trade and like actually hand resources over to me. You would go over, hand the resources to them. I would hand the equivalent resources to mine and they almost develop a, a distance like trade economy but across classes in the Minecraft game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do remember doing that. We talked about that at ISTE, I think, a few years back. And yeah. I think that that would be kind of a cool 
cool way to bring in some trade again some history components there uh if you're an english teacher that could also be a good one for kind of communication skills because if we had them right inside like a google doc or things like that create contracts or whatever mm -hmm. um it could be kind of neat uh but that's that's kind of the exciting thing about minecraft it is digital legos for those of you that don't know um if you're if you're a unicorn out there that hasn't been touched by Minecraft in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> uh, it's just these digital Legos that you can kind of build and create anything. Um, now, John and I both have used it in a simulation sense, which not every teacher does that. So one of the things we definitely both wanted to share was our experience on using Minecraft as a simulation, uh, not as a design principle, um, which... It gets used as a lot, I think. Um, so, John, tell tell your tell your tale of uh, working with Minecraft in a simulation sort of setup. Yeah, this uh, this first part has literally nothing to do with the simulation part, but it does have to do with survival mode. Uh, the first time I, I used it in the simulation, my wife and I pitched a summer school course in Minecraft. And we weren't married at the time. Uh, we, we ended up during the course of those three years teaching it, getting married, which is a survival mode in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> I think you I think you coined that phrase for it, and I think that was a good good way to put it. Uh, but we, we were running this, and um, we, we started every, every year with the first week was a survival mode. And the first year we did it, we just kind of said, create a society. The, the problem is we didn't really define what made a great society. We didn't really give them any meaningful, you know, pieces to work towards. We just said, hey, coexist and, and make something fun out of it. And it kind of fell on its face, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it failed pretty hard. A lot of uh, uh, griefing, uh, which, Michael, do you want to share what griefing is? You had a great definition of it the other day. So gr griefing is just this idea of, you know, taking apart somebody's Lego creation and just kind of running away with it. So, you know, just, <laughs> I, I mean, I could picture in your society, I mean, these people just, cannibalizing other people's work and running around yep engulfed in flames the, Just, the whole yeah. nine yards yep yep that's actually a real thing so a kid killed another kid with lava uh in that first year which was uh we had a trial the whole nine yards it was ugly but uh anywho um you know year two we asked what could we do and i i'd actually just um chatted with you, I think either at NedCamp or seen a, a session you had done. And I thought, why can't we take a game-based learning experience and gamify it, you know, so sort of the inception of game-based and gamification, you know, if they had a child, I guess, if you will. And uh, we just basically talked with the students, what does a good, great society look like? We kind of came up per, with parameters. They have, um, you know, a unique, uh, you know, a food supply system. They have housing networks. They have um, you know, they, they take care of all of the people, whether they're rich, poor, uh, and they have usually a great monument dedicated to their, their greatness. And so we said, okay, those are the parameters. Here's what they're worth. And then as a kicker, every time one of you dies in the game, you lose points from that goal. So you're, they're working towards these goals and they're doing it I against it. two, a second class. So there's, there's two classes we taught. And we, we basically like found that they unified when they had a common enemy, which sounds like a really bad message to pass along to today's youth. But it really did work well to, to get the buy-in. So essentially they had about a week. They created a society. They named it. They came up with the rules for their society. And then just like we talked about with survival, they had those finite resources, and they needed to create a world where people would survive 
uh, people, you know, would, would be able to feed themselves. Um, if they did die, what, you know, safeguards did they have in place, uh, if they did die. So people started building things like low income housing, uh, the quote unquote for those who died and needed like a place to stay overnight because they'd fallen on hard times. I'm using air quotes right now. You can't see it cause it's a podcast. Uh, They're so yeah, that's kind of it, yes. Yeah. Michael can confirm. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what we did. And in, in year two, it took off just by adding that gamification of you are earning these points towards your great society and, and losing points every time you let one of your, your brothers, uh, or sisters, so to speak, uh, you know, die so that they really looked out for one another. I love this like little addition, this little tweak. I mean, this is what I talk about in my book and in my presentations that just choosing a single mechanic and how just just that single mechanic can really change an experience, right? Because game mechanics are, you know, inhibitors in some respect. They they push they push us towards something or away from something. Uh, and I just love this story of just this this one mechanic of the the deaths being a negative draw on their overall score really changed the experience. Uh, and probably amped up the entire learning experience as well because i mean if you're talking about a society too you know that that would take a toll on society and you know having less workers i think you know you talk about when in the game of minecraft when you're in survival mode when you die you lose all the acquired goods that you would mm-hmm. you had achieved over that time so i mean what a, what a reset for society you know for if you're having a high rate of death there so I just think it's so awesome that you added that one one piece and it really changed the shape of things. And I think that that's kind of a point of, I guess, well-played podcasts and Explore Like a Pirate. Like The idea here is to, to use game-inspired course design, right? And when you do that, that, that to me is the child of gamification and game-based learning. It's just sort of game-inspired course design. Yeah, and I think uh, it was amazing to me the conversations that started happening. You know, we couldn't get we we found our reflection from the students and their discussions weren't very rich. But when they realized they had to problem solve together, uh, what they could do, and if they had to actually talk out like, hey, you know, what what have been our major issues? Well, we 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 we're running low on wood. Well, what can we do? Well, we have to plant two trees for every one we cut down. Like I and I I didn't lead this discussion about if they were having the conversations about conservation of trees you know the low-income housing was their idea they're like wait we have people who keep dying like again and again and again what's going on while well, they say oh well i die at night and i come back and it's still night and there's still bad people out you know mobs if you're not familiar with are the the yeah. creatures that are out to hurt you during the night in minecraft uh and so those mobs get them again and again they built these quick little temporary housing for people who you know had had died and, and came back with nothing, which, as you mentioned, was a great uh, analogy for life. Um, I, I'm curious, too, because you, you've you done an interesting job of, t- you know, I, I think one thing we missed was kind of tying it to a specific, um, you know, tenant of the curriculum. We mainly just said, you know, we really want it for group building, but you've done some interesting things with survival uh, and your curriculum. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious to hear you elaborate on those a little bit. Yeah, so one simulation that I really loved was when I do the early river civilizations and we're studying Mesopotamia and, you know, in our textbook and in our lecture, we talk about, uh, how these civilizations really like 
first put down roots. We, we, we switched from being a nomadic culture. Uh, and the first, first thing we have to do is figure out how to like where to live and how to, I guess, have some control over that environment. You know, uh, some of the first major works that governments put in place or people put in place were how to control the rivers um, and then, like you pointed out, resource management. So I thought Minecraft survival, I have to be able to do something with this. So I created a, a world, and I had a server so that all the classes were on, were in the same Minecraft world. Um, and they go off and are able to explore and find a place they want to start their civilization. And I made it this ginormous desert map, so everything... <laughs> was deserted to sort of fit our curriculum of Mesopotamia and mm-hmm. um, that geography as best you could in, in Minecraft. And it was really neat to hear the kids, kind of like you're, you're telling the story too, the, the natural conversations that come out of kids. And this is so true, I think, for social studies teachers. We're used to this from simulations, this, these things that just rise to the surface that, again, I swear I could lecture all day on and kids... Kids will sort of get it. Some will care. Some won't care. But the moment it's in a simulation and it's happening to them, it, it's like we need to solve this. Or why is this happening? Can we get to the root so that we don't have that problem? Um, and, they, and they're almost strategizing. Can they outfox history, right? Like here they were trying to pick the best place to start their civilization. What are the resources? How hard is it going to be to control the river here if there are floods like you know, what's the elevation around? Should we put our city a little higher up? Does that put us away from crops? Like, uh, how hard is it going to get to get to water? How hard is it going to get to get other resources? Because like, oh, we could have settled near that huge mountain that's clearly going to have a lot of ore deposits in it. Um, and just to have that conversation. And this is another one that I fused my coursework, my outside of Minecraft into the game of Minecraft. So they were trying to build a Mesopotamian society. So, you know, our textbook talks about how the ziggurat, which was the temple in ancient Mesopotamian times, was always the center point of towns, and it was the high point of towns. It was the temple, you know, to their gods. So they all had to design one of those, and then they had to, like, have other key components. And it was sort of a research task for for groups. They did, uh, they had to figure out what was in a Mesopotamian town and try to put it in there. So kids would do research, find out, like, did they have blacksmiths? No, they did not. Like, they didn't have metalworking at that time. You know, but, like, these sixth graders, like, that's the thing that jumps to their head. Like, oh, like, I bet you they have blacksmiths, right? And they're, like, some kid starts building one, and then, like, some other kids, like, no. Like, I'm doing research, guys. Like, they can't. We can't build a blacksmith shop, you know? And then another thing we kind of skipped over that you can do in Minecraft EDU is they have a lot of things to embed um, content inside Minecraft. They have these info blocks, and kids can write full-on papers if you wanted it inside there. Um, So these kids, each building they built, they had to write a little blurb about, like, why this is in their Mesopotamian town um, and kind of cite the research. Uh, and this whole system, this whole society uh, was like a whole class activity. They weren't broken down into groups. 
the group was the class, kind of like you talked about having two classes. I had four classes doing this. And the way it was organized, I don't know if you've ever used the tool Basecamp. It is like a group work, I don't know, web tool where you can assign tasks to each other and you can have shared files and resources. It's a great tool and teachers can get it for free. You just have to write the company and they give you a free account. Um, so I had all the kids in Basecamp and they were able to organize who should do what tasks and it was an, uh, another great teaching tool for sixth graders to teach about organization and alongside this we had parallel conversations about the role of government like love it or hate it like it does allow you to to achieve larger things because of the organization that's above so some of the classes produce their own governmental system to be more efficient inside minecraft which was not a requirement was not actually part of the assignment but it was kind of neat some of the natural things that came out I think, uh, you know, and what you described perfectly captures this, but it's so unique. What blows my mind about using Minecraft as a teaching tool is you really, you just set up the parameters of the world. You give them a, a situation and you give them the means uh, through which they can learn and you kind of hit go and, and let them let them experience and let them piece things together. Uh, it's not as prescribed as a lot of you know, what, what, what I at least used to do. Uh, Minecraft kind of freed me up to, to just let you know, let it see where it took, you know, where the lesson took itself and what kind of things they encountered, uh, which is just kind of seems counter to a lot of the ways I feel like I was taught where uh, I was being disseminated down to here. You know, they're kind of feeling things out in the dark and drawing understanding from this experimentation, uh, which I think is the most exciting part. We're really just like kind of the, the clockmakers that kind of set things in motion uh, in, in Minecraft. Yeah. And I mean, I think for teachers that are trying to think whether they should do a simulation using Minecraft, an activity using Minecraft, or really just a general simulation, um, I think there is tremendous power in open, sort of open-ended experiences. Uh, I think it's more real world. I think it's way more demanding on their, the students' faculties, right? Like they really have to think about the consequences of what they do. They have to really like engage a lot of information literacy, like what's the best option in that moment, and at the same time, balance that with curriculum, right? Because I'm, I'm sure whatever the task is, you've wrapped it into some sort of curricular experience. So uh, I, I don't know, it can be an amazing experience, but yes, we have to jump off that ledge and let go of some of the control. Uh, and not worry so much about getting to some sort of finish educational finish line that we've <laughs> predefined. Um, life itself is messy, and I think what they learn through a, this kind of thing is very, very powerful. Yeah, one uh, to that point. Uh, one thing that that blew my mind is the first year we did it. You know, I mentioned a lot of things didn't go right, but one interesting thing that we did try is we did have them vote on their type of government. And it was just an amazing uh, social experiment where one group picked democracy and the other group picked pure anarchy. Like literally, we're just, and I was like, the fact that That's you decided picked. and and voted <laughs> on anarchy, like I think right there it's not, but who cares? Let's do it. Uh, and and within a two days, they immediately like held a special meeting to call off the anarchy because 
like literally every time something terrible happened, then they'd turn to me and say, do something. And I go, I can't, it's an anarchy. And, uh, you know, that got old very fast. And, and when they were able to, you know, move to a representative, you know, democracy and, and have leaders who, who, you know, made some basic laws protecting them, they were much happier. So it was amazing how, uh, we actually got to see anarchy unfold and why, like that's, you know, why, why that tends to be a problematic, uh, you know, a system of governing oneself or not governing oneself. But so. again, that's like, what an awesome, like experience that the students either intentionally chose this or were trying to be funny and chose this. But then <laughs> a few days later, funny or not was like, Nope, we're not going to keep this yeah. government. It, it started out funny and it quickly descended into the least funny thing that was happening to them. <laughs> it was really great. Um, now, I mean, we've focused here on some of the simulations we've done, uh, but you know, Minecraft again, does not have to be only survival mode, doesn't have to be big simulations. Uh, I have seen, um, different teachers use Minecraft for one quick activity. Uh, one I absolutely loved was a science teacher used it to demonstrate the principle of solid, liquid, and gas. Um, he made a really like small fenced in space and then he had his like 30 kids log in and that small fenced in space was the spawn point. Uh, the spawn point for everybody listening is where you kind of come into the world. And so they're all like penned in really tight <laughs> and the teacher can kind of fly. So the teacher's flying above them and kind of talking to them in Minecraft and saying, you know, you're all penned in, you're a solid, the atoms are tightly packed together. And then he sort of burned the fence down and they moved around, but then they eventually hit like another sort of fence. And he's like, see you spread out. You have more room. You're like you're loose. So you're liquid. Um, because the atoms are farther apart. And then he took down that final wall and really it was just open to the world. And, you know, they spread all around and he's like, <laughs> and now you're a gas, you know, you, your <laughs> atoms are really far apart. And I mean, that was all of like a five minute activity for him. <laughs> Uh, and not hard for him to build or design. We're not talking about making some sort of replica. Uh, but I, I would contend kids are not going to ever, you know, forget the principles of tightly packed <laughs> atoms versus really spread apart atoms. And that's the only difference between the solid, liquid, and gas is just really how compact those atoms are. Um, I think that's really cool. And they got to go home and tell their parents or guardians that they were an atom that day like literally were an atom which is just an amazing story to tell at the dinner table so, that's right uh i think yeah. too another thing that is great with minecraft that you can get into is scale because minecraft each block is a square meter um ways i've used that was to give kids a sense of how size uh, how large the pyramids at giza are um with the minecraft build tools that the teachers have the big g god tools that we have uh i was able to quickly lay down the perimeter of a pyramid and when students logged in and then kind of walked the length just one one side of the pyramid we're kind of blown away at how long it took to get from one side to the next um so that was another way that i mean there's just countless ways that you can use minecraft um in school and it definitely engages and inspires kids because this is kind of something they're doing already. 
Um, when you did your simulation, your your sort of society simulation, you said this was like a summer course or camp. I'm curious. I two questions. One, how many girls versus how many boys? And then two, how many like completely new, like, hey, John, teach me Minecraft versus, you know, pro pro users? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the To answer your first question, uh, our first year, we had two females in the entire two courses of 30 students we had. So two girls out of 58. And shockingly, uh, the next year and the year after, it just totally started shifting towards more of the median 50-50. That third year we ran it, uh, we were kind of, I think, I'd say we were about 60-40 boys to girls by that third year. But we started out two out of 60. So it really shifted uh, as we went on. Uh, So uh, I don't know if that's just because Minecraft became more ubiquitous and it became less of a oh, that's a, that's a boys club thing or, or what happened. But, uh, it was really great because it really brought diverse ideas, I think, to the table. And, uh, for your second question, it was really hard to tell. And, uh, the reason for that is when we started off survival mode and we had that gamified atmosphere at first, my wife and I thought we were going to have to do a lot of like taking people aside and teaching them the tenets of the game. But we realized when we turned it into that, Hey, your team is responsible for making sure nobody nobody you know dies in the game because you get penalized they the experienced gamers really identified those people for us and took them under their wing and and kind of taught them you know the what they'd need to be successful in the society or looked out for them or gave them extra resources and, and it was a really powerful experience it really brought, brought camaraderie and suddenly instead of the teacher trying to you know pick those up those students up and making them feel isolated they felt like part of the, the group immediately that's awesome. And again, in that, uh, the way that you've designed that simulation, there was this natural uh, reason for the pro users to sort of slow down, pause for a moment, and invest some time into educating the others. Uh, and again, I think that's just a great life lesson. And I think that's, you know, it's just an awesome example uh, for those students uh, because it, it ended up probably being a better society and better situation for all. I like to think so. (laughs) Well, um, it is time for reflection time. Today we have a quote by the just sort of general gamer Minecraft (laughs) community. I have no idea who to attribute this to. If you are the person that said this, then my God, I'm surprised you're listening to this podcast. That's really cool. So, you know, awesome. Uh, So here's the quote. Let's see how you and I, what we think about this one. Gamers don't die, they respawn. How, how is that relevant to, to schools in our conversation here today? Yeah, I think it really speaks to the shift that's happening in education where it is focused on not so much, uh, you know, students shouldn't be afraid uh, of, of those failures that happen inevitably, you know, when you're learning, when you're trying something new and you're experimenting, uh, we should really embrace those failures, those little moments, those little hiccups, uh, and, and really take those as just another opportunity to learn and grow. And I, you and I grew up with games. We knew that it wasn't going to take one Mario life to get to the end of the final boss. Yes. I mean, it was, you had to go through Bowser's kids before you got to him. Like you had you know, you'd like totally manipulate his kids to be his minions. It was what disturbing. A what yeah. A 
and his kids are just you know mauling Mario over and over again <laughs> repeatedly. But we realized that every time we got mauled, you know, in one of his levels or by one of his children, we were picking up a little detail that we could adjust uh, and improve ourselves for the next uh, the next hurdle. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, to me, this just speaks to that whole idea of it's it's about the journey. You know, there isn't there really isn't an end point, and I think gamers have that naturally they just have this idea that we're just going to press on even when the game's over i mean you'll you'll talk about (laughs) my my favorite game of all time is the legend of zelda series and i mean right even when you finish one zelda it's not like you're you're done i mean you you're you're like i hope they design another one (laughs) like and there's all these little like nooks and crannies that you can keep exploring usually after the game's done like all these little bonuses to a lot of those games too that yeah you i mean just keep playing that's i mean that's another great point i mean one of the great market success stories is a a, a game called skyrim and you know just like any game there is an end point you're trying to get from you know you're trying to beat the game but along the way I want to say that the game designers, if you buy like the gold package that has, you know, all the like upgrades, <laughs> there there are thousands of side quests that do not, you do not have to do any of them. I mean, like you could still win the game not touching thousands of side quests. Um, but this really shows you this this nate this notion of you know gamers don't die; they just respawn. These people just want to continue to exist and play the game. So they, they do these side quests. Knowing full well it's taking more time away from the actual end objective. That's that's pretty amazing. Well, uh, John, thanks for nerding out a little bit here on Well Played. Uh, it's truly been a pleasure, and I hope that we can have many more conversations with you. Uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure and an honor, Michael, and uh, be happy to come back and uh, nerd out with you. Sweet. Uh, for you listeners, thanks again. Uh, remember to post to Well Played You and the additional hashtag WPQuest. Thanks for listening. It is an honor having you listen, learn, and play with us. Enjoy the week and play on.